The sermon tonight is taken from Psalm 119, 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, I am. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the uh, early moral crises of my life was in college. And that crisis, what I found was, of course, the crisis was having an unlimited amount of personal time to do as you please, <laughs> and, and to live as you please, and to interact as you please with others. And I abused that freedom pretty, pretty quickly. I was not very wise with it, not very godly, not very thoughtful, not very kind. And in fact, what I wound up doing is I wound up serial dating. I just started dating every girl I could, and and I, and I, and it, and it, but it, it, was, it was stupid. It was, it, was, it was a vanity, really. It was me pleasing my vanity. And I, and I was faced with a crisis that was coming. It was just building in my heart and building in my life. And it was a crisis that I, I didn't know the way out of. And I remember, I remember very, very clearly having this moment where I, where I didn't feel so lonely, where I felt like I found a friend. I'm sitting in a, I'm sitting in a 77 Coro- Toyota Corolla. I don't remember the Toyota Corolla stick shift. Not 77 Toyota Corolla with a hanging ceiling. The ceiling used to hang down. It used to make me so mad. You push it up, you know, trying to get it out of your... Kind of, I, used to, I remember I think you used staples eventually. I was trying to get it, stick it to the ceiling because I was so annoyed by it. I'm sitting down by the train, tra- train tracks in Wheaton and I was across the tracks. I, got in, I had to get off campus. I went to sit somewhere where I knew nobody would bump into me or walk by me. I'm sitting in my car because I'm in a crisis. I remember reading this. How can a young man keep his way pure? And that was the crisis. I knew that's what I was feeling. I knew that was my problem. And I had this moment, I'm reading it, right? I'm reading it. And I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'm alone in the car. I'm talking to God, and I'm like, and I, and I, and I read the text, and I and my immediately go, how? Are you going to explain this to me? <laughs> like, he's asking it. I want to know. Is and, and it was funny when I first heard it. I heard it as an existential cry. I heard it as a cry of his heart, like, like he wasn't sure there was an answer. Because I wasn't sure there was an answer at that time, right? But I had this moment where it, something different happened. That, look, my theolo- I like learning theology because I like, being, like, like trying to look smarter than other people. Isn't that shameful? What a shameful reason to learn theology and want to learn theology. And I was reading this, and all I knew was whoever had said that some thousands of years later, whoever cried it out in Palestine, whoever erupted with that cry... How can I be pure? How can a young man? That, that at least somebody else knew how I felt. I remember thinking that. like He knew how I felt. He knew what I was feeling and thinking. <laughs> like he, he was embodying my own desperation. And I don't know. I felt like I had a friend. I, I don't, I'll meet him someday. I figure he's going to be in heaven. I feel like I had a friend in these words. A friend who wrote these things. A friend who's had some of the sick, sad struggles I've had and the doubts I've had about myself. Or about what God's plan is. Or what's possible. How can a young man keep his way pure? And you're like, whoa! And so for me, I, I felt like, 
I had found a friend uh, that was sitting there. It's interesting about this, it's kind of a funny problem in one sense, is that is it, one of the things that, that really, really came to me as I was thinking about this is as, the, as that crisis was so aware, I was so wondering about my own sexual and moral and purity of my heart and my mind and my affections and all But um, I realized there was probably even a deeper crisis to be had. Maybe even a deeper crisis was beyond the crisis I was having about purity. And I guess the crisis that was next, and maybe it was the crisis I wanted, was the crisis where you just don't care anymore. Like where you don't cry out, right? Where you're done trying to be pure. Right? Have you, anybody gotten there before? Where you just have given up. You don't, you, don't, you don't even ask anymore. because, And then the, that's a deeper crisis, right? The crisis you have about whether you can be good or not, that's a good crisis to be in, right? That's the crisis you want. That's the crisis you want in your heart. Everybody realize there's a deeper crisis behind this one. And that's the crisis of no crisis. Is that where you are? I'm wondering where you connect with me in this. I'm wondering if, if I'm talking and there's a, there's a filth in you that sits there and goes, oh, I wish I... And maybe that's where you connect with this. But maybe, maybe your heart is hardened too where it's the crisis of no crisis. I don't know. I wonder, I wonder where we are. I wonder where we are in this room even. As I even know you. And know y'all, I felt like I had found a friend. You know, I, uh, sometimes when, when, I, when, I, when, I was, when I was first reading this, you know, how can a young man keep his way pure? It'd be tempting. Wouldn't it be so tempting to think, hey, man, he didn't have to deal with the Internet. You know, come on. I mean, I mean, whatever crisis he was having, we've got it worse, don't we? And, and maybe we want to compare it. This is something we all get. This is a very bad habit we have, comparing crises with other people and figuring out if their crisis is legitimate or not. Do you do that? Do you all do that? It, don't do that. It's sinful. It's awful. His crisis isn't as valid as my crisis. Oh, that's so ugly. It's so selfish. It's so self-centered. Don't have anything to do with that. It's not Jesus. But hey, maybe, maybe, so maybe you're, uh, you're looking at his crisis here. Where is his crisis? And I, I want you to tell, I want you to hear something. I want you to hear something in the scripture. I want the scriptures to come right into, right into bright light with you. Bright, bright, bright relief. You know, I can just picture a Jewish mom. She gets out, Mika, Mika, where are you? Oh, no, don't. And she runs. She's here running down the street. Because you know what little Mika's doing? He was out playing with the kids in the street of the town. Maybe it was Bethlehem. Any of the little towns in Judah. You know why mom was so eager? Because Mika was over next to the Asherah pole again. There's an Asherah pole in the middle of the town. Do you know why the mom was so upset that the little kids are playing in front of the Asherah pole? An Asherah pole in the Bible is an enormous sexual totem. And what the kids played in front of and what people worshipped was pornography. Pornography was your religion. You go to a temple and instead of like, you see how this has three sticks? This three stands like this? Sorry. Every, every oh no, it's on there anyway. But in, in, like in a Roman house, for example, every table leg and every stool leg would be a penis. Every single one. Mired in pornography all the time. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, bro. Get, get, but I, want you to, I want you to get a picture of this where, where worship was where you went to have sex. 
Now, if that was the case, I don't know how, I don't know how church, modern churches would compete, but <laughs> imagine if everybody else, that was what they were selling out there. Somebody's selling it, I'm sure. But, but the point here is that, is, that the, is that the ancients were mired in the problems of pornography much like we are. The religious exercise included going to see temple prostitutes. And the totems of sexuality were everywhere present, in the open. People weren't ashamed of them. They put them on display. How could a young man keep his weight? You hear, you hear the cry now? Like he, he's living in a real problem. He's living in a real society which is neck deep in filth. Sound familiar? <laughs> sound, sound like a place you've been? Does it sound like a place you live? And what I hear here is that the gift of despair here, this is a gift to him. This cry from his heart, how can a young man, this is a gift. Because this is something about how law, he is no longer focused on his own ability, is he? He is, he is despairing of the possibility that purity lives in him. Right? What is this? this is the beginning of what real saving faith in Jesus looks like? And this man's got it thousands of years before Christ, where the cry of his heart is, I can't do it. And what is that? It's the cry of faith, the cry for grace. Praise, praise God. Oh, you see, this guy's got something on the ball. I see, I, yes, he lived in a situation much like us. Ancient pornography was omnipresent. It was on the walls of the town. And graffiti and, 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 and filth. But so I see a gift of a deep despair for him, but I see even a deeper gift. And this is where I want you to come to the text now. I see an even deeper gift. I see an even deeper. I don't have a text in front of me. Yeah, I do. I see an even deeper gift. Take a look. Uh, I want you to see this. Verse 14 in the way of your testimonies. I. Delight. Yay! Anybody, anybody at that level? No, not. Look at verse 16. I will del delight. Delight. You know, the psalmist, this poet, he lives in a place just like us, and we hear him describing a faith like the one that takes us to Christ, where we give up our own, our own works and our own goodness, and we trust him how he can keep us pure. But there's a deeper gift here that he has. He loves God's word. He just loves it. He's just delighted in it. It's, just, it's like, you know what? He's just like Cedric. How many of you get texts from Cedric? He delights in God's word. He can't, he can't stop talking about God's word. He is in God's word. He reads God's word. There's something about God's word that arouses a sense of joy, delight, and, 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 uh, and earnestness. It's just... Delight. It's, a, it's such a great word, isn't it? I mean, it's just fun and, and, and alive with joy. That's the greatest gift God gives him. It's this last gift, because that's the one. That's the one. That's the one I. That's the one I. That's the one I want you to want. See, I realize there's a crisis of having, of having, you know. The purity crisis. How do you stay pure when there's so many temptations, so many distractions? There's the deeper crisis of the, the no crisis, the crisis of no crisis, where you don't feel anything. But I think there's a worse crisis still. You know what that is? Insensitivity. Inability. Coldness. Retreat. From the words of our God. 
That's the one I'm worried about. Where's your delight? Anything you delight in, I bet you do it. <laughs> I bet you anything you delight, I bet you, I bet you your days are filled with things you delight in. And I'll warrant that the scriptures are not a part of those days often. Sadly, right? And then I'm, I'm left with this, this point. Like, I'm here, I'm here. How do I get you to delight in God's? How do I do that? How do I get, how do I get you there? Well, I, think he, I think he's got some things to teach us. Because this is all just a setup now. And what I'm hoping to do right now is to teach you some delight in God's word. Psalm 119. <laughs> what a song! Oh, you, oh, your heart would do so well to meditate, to memorize, to soak in this psalm. You know, at first, you know, a good poet doesn't repeat himself over and over again with using the same words. And, and at first, when you read this, I remember the first time I read Psalm 119 as a kid, you see the word precept, law, commandment, statute, ordinance, rule, word, and, and all these words for the, God, for the Bible, all these words for God's law and rules and truth. And, and it's just, and he works through all of them. And honestly, most of them are kind of dead to me. Like, I just don't hear, I don't hear precept and go, ooh, that's i gotta, I got to pay attention to precepts. We don't, we're, not, we're not cut to the quick, or we're not aroused by a desire to serve, or we're not charmed by the Word of God by hearing that there's precepts in it. <laughs> it doesn't do anything for us. But then as, I'm, as, I'm, as, 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 as he uses these eight words over and over and over again, if you look through the, look through the, look through the verses, how he, he moves back and forth, and some of that's so necessary, because you can't hear the same word over and over and over again. It would be bad. This is bad poetry, right? But I think the poet's doing more. I think the poet is thinking under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. I think the poet has a doctrine of the word. I think this poet is alive with the Holy Spirit to understand God's word. He's trying to impart something to you about the nature of that word in the words for it. Let's take the first one, the word debar. It happens in the first line. Look at verse 9. There's the word debar, the word for word. It's also repeated in the last line, verse 16. By the way, anybody remember how Hebrew poetry works? It doesn't rhyme. It likes to do A and, at the a and Z. It does an A and Z kind of balance. It does beginning and end. That's a very classic Hebrew motif. But this word, word, debar, this is the word for matter, thing, and more deed. Now, this is the same way Christ would say, amen, amen. What, what is the nature, what is the fundamental core of God's word? It is true truth. It is a truth of truth. It is as true as something you can get. And I love that in Hebrew, the word word, matter, and thing are all the same word. True, true, true to fact. And what's one of the first things that we can embrace about what our God promises us in his holy word? It's true to fact. Amen. Like, it's true to fact. It's not without, it has no errors. It's true to facts. It is not a myth or a fairy tale or an imaginative work. Remember I tell you that many of us don't recognize the scriptures genre because we're not familiar with it. We're, we don't have a lot of fantastical nonfiction written in a modern world, do we? And that's, that's essentially what the scriptures are. They're nonfiction. They deal with the fantastical, but they say the truth. The next word is, and this is in verse 10, it's the word for commandment. And this word for command carries with it the sense of, of, um, of something authoritative, fiat. The, and 5% of the entire Old Testament is this. And the Lord 
said. And that's how many times that expression is in the Old Testament Bible. That's 5% of the entire Old Testament is just those words. And the Lord said. He commands. He declares with fiat. It's because he has said it. And it's an authoritative word. In verse 11, the word, now the next word is even, is, is massaged. Now, now this is not merely the command, but it's the command with promise. It's translated word, because nobody knows how to translate this word. Imra. But it's the word of, it's the word of, it's, it's this. It's when, it's when, it's when, uh, it's when Paul says, all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus. It's the idea that the word is fulfilled as a promise. What did Christ say? Don't think I came to abolish the law. What did he come to do? I came to fulfill it. It's that same idea. All right. What have we got right now? True to fact, declaring with fat power from on high in a sense of fiat and authority, married with promise. And the, and, the, and the echo of promise and the reality that every law is merely, will be fulfilled. That's a promise from Jesus to you is <laughs> the fulfillment of the law. Praise him. And verse 12, and then again, verse 16, is the word that's translated statute. Well, what do you, where do you, what do you think statute is? My mom used to say that she was fed of her favorite jokes when she would see a marble effigy. And she'd look up and she'd go, hey, statue? Anyway, uh, my mom thought that was very funny. Hey, statue? So, you remember that, Luke? No, you don't? I do. Something engraved permanently. What did Christ say? Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Permanence. Eternity to the words themselves. Do you get now that the poet is cleverly working in what? He's working in all of the ideas of the Bible that are there. Keep going. Keep going with me. The next word, verse 13, is that of a decree Something that's a decree, a fair and fair and just decree. His words are fair. Calls all men everywhere to repent. Nobody's accepted, right? We're all sinners and we all need grace. We're all saved by grace and, and that by faith. <sighs> the allness makes sense. This, this, this is a part of the promise that's in the word. Look at the next, look at the next word in verse 14. It's the word what? Testimony. Uh, that's, this is the same word of the wall when it was put in the ark. And it was put in the Ark of the Ark of the Covenant. It was called the testimony. And it's the idea that God is, it's, a, it's the idea of a living word. What, 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 is, what does Hebrews tell us? The word of God is what? Living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. You get this idea of a testimony is a word alive. It's God bearing witness. It's God bearing witness with us, to us, for us. We can keep going. Not is it just a spoken word. Oh, by the way, you know I caught this. You know how Jesus uses this idea of the uh, testimony? Do you know when he quotes the Old Testament? You know what he says sometimes? The Holy Spirit says, I love that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit says, what's he saying there? The scripture, this Bible, is a testimony to the living God. Trust it. And then the final, the final one is the detail word. This, what is, it's kind of funny. It, the word itself in Hebrew sounds like a detail word. This is, this is how you say it in Hebrew. Pikudim. <laughs> the picudim. And that's exactly what it is. It's the details. It's the details of order. You know, anybody who's, who's, who, 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 is, who commands and gives laws and statutes has to be a person who gives detail as well. And there's this idea that this Christ captures this. Christ, this psalmist has Christ's heart about the word. Oh, I want you to hear it. Because what does he teach us? 
heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Not what? Not the single, not the least jot, nor tittle. What's the jot? It's the little dots in the text. The tittle. These are the smallest of the Hebrew characters. And the smallest of the Hebrew characters will not pass away until Mount Tam is thrown into the ocean. Praise him. What a God. Now, why am I sharing all these things and bringing them back to things Jesus said? Because I want you to hear, actually what I was giving you right there, if I wanted to, I could talk about the perspicuity, the inerrancy, and the infallibility of the Word of God, and we could deliver, perhaps I could say theological things, but honestly, I'm not interested in saying theological things, because the, 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 the beauties of the Word of God are the treasure of His people. Because you see, if you have confidence about its fairness, its promises, its eternity, and the fact that it lasts. And when it says you love sinners, guess what you can do? You can take that home. You can take it home as a promise. You can take it home down to the detail of your life. You can take it home in every sense. And what, it, what this ancient poet was gifted to give us a gift of was a beautiful view of the Word of God. Full and rich. And it gets better. He didn't just give us these words for the law and the words for the rules so we could understand more deeply the nature of God's law. I still haven't solved the crisis of your delight. Now, maybe when I was describing all this stuff about God's word, maybe a little tickle of delight was in you. Maybe. I don't know. Let's pay attention. Let, let, let's learn from this young man. Let's learn from him. Because I think we have something to actually, I think we have an action plan to learn. I really do. And, and, and he really is patterning for you. He is teaching you. He is leading you. This guy is a friend to me. He can be a friend to you too. I'm serious. He has something to teach us, each one of us, to lead us. And what's the first thing, first thing you're supposed to learn? What's the first thing, if you're paying any attention to this guy and what he's doing, what's the first thing you need to learn? Because your biggest need is you don't have a delight in God's word like you should. And yet his word is majestic and beautiful, just like Jesus said and just like this man said, just as Jesus personified. What's the first thing you got to do? And the last thing you do, and the thing you do in the middle all on the way. Every verse, how many, how many, how many, how many asks does you do? How many asks are in there? I think there's at least 10 or 15, 10, 11, 12, depending on how you count them, depending on how you reckon the actual, actual requests. But it's everyone, everyone, everyone. Hey, I want that. Hey, I want this. Hey, I want this. Hey, I need that. Hey, I need this. I need life. I need you to bless me. I need you to lead me. I need you to teach me. I need you. And I hear it. I hear it. I hear it so deeply. And, and you know, it's funny because that is the heart of faith. The heart of faith that asks is saying, I have nothing. You have everything. Please, can you please give me what I need? (laughs) That's the heart of faith, right? And the faith in Christ always going to become a faith of asking. And what this guy is teaching you is you should ask, and then you should ask again. Then you should ask again. Then you should ask after that. You should keep asking, and then you keep asking, and then ask again. And then when you're done with all that asking, you should ask again. And then you can start over again. The, uh, Jesus teaches us we are forbidden. We are forbidden to say prayers in repetition in order to get him to do something. Like, you, can, you can't do, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to just go, God have pity, God have pity, God have pity on me. God have, and say that like a thousand times in order to get God to move some pitiful, pity, piteous way towards you, right? Or he was moved to pity. Yeah, that's what the Tibetan prayer flags are. Um, when you see a Tibetan prayer flag, there are a bunch of them uh, down on 
down in Harrison, down near the, uh, the site class we, we were at, Alex. There's a bunch of prayer flags down there for a while. Anyway, every time a prayer flag snaps in the wind, the idea is whatever's written on that flag has been said as a prayer. So what do you got when you put up like a thousand prayer flags? You got a thousand prayers being said every time the wind catches one of those little, one of those little, that's a lot of praying. Man, you get a lot of prayer points that way. Yeah, that's it. That is, Jesus says that is absolute garbage. <laughs> God is not a puppet pulled by and manipulated by us like that. No, he, but he does tell elsewhere about a woman who is so annoying, is such a persistent, annoying person that the judge, who didn't care about her case, didn't care if she got what she wanted, didn't really care about anything but getting a good night's sleep. And what did the evil judge do after the 10th or 15th request knocking in the middle of the night? He gave her what she wanted just to get rid of her. And God is good, and that man was evil. <laughs> God is saying you can't mechanically manipulate me, but you can come to me as a person as much as you like. Come on. Do you realize that this guy in Psalm 119 pretty much found like a couple hundred different ways to ask for the same thing? <laughs> Do you, how many verses are in there? Somebody look how many verses are in there. You go all the way in. He, it's 120 or 150, all different ways to ask for exactly the same thing, which is what? God, teach me. Like, don't come into me and make me a different person. <laughs> this, is, this is his entire cry, and he finds all these different ways to say it. And Jesus loves it. Our Father is adored. Our Father is, is moved. <laughs> Our Father is, is, is alert. And he wants it. I just, uh. Well, that brings me to my second point. It's all so personal. 13 times he says you. 13 times. Do you talk like this to God? You. You. I need you. 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 What have you done? Are you, are you going to be here? I bless you. Are you here? Oh my goodness. It's so personal. Do you have that? Do you have that taste? Do you have a taste of that? Of that reality and that truth of a personal God who you appeal to with so much earnestness and fervor? Is that in your heart? If that's not in your heart, you're in the crisis of no crisis. You're in the crisis of a lack of delight. You're in the crisis of you need to get back to asking. Maybe you need to ask God to teach you to ask. Give your heart that ask. You see, we can, go, we, can, we can go back as far down the turtles as we want, right? We can, go, we can go all the way down, right? In the end, it has to be him. Praise him. What are you asking for? Do you ask for me when I'm standing up here? Do you ask for one another? Are we asking? Are we asking? You know one of the reasons why I think it's simple we don't ask? I'm going to give you guys in a little, in a little secret, making sure you haven't been paying attention. Jesus has been doing miracles for our church. And I'll be darned if I can get people to come to a prayer meeting to ask. Right? Oh well. You know what? I'm just going to keep asking for you to be an asker too. <laughs> okay, I can care. God can get ahead of me. He can get, he can get in there and do it. He can teach you how to pray. He can teach you to need to pray. He can do it pretty easily sometimes. So what do you have to ask, ask, ask? Ask the person. It's not, a it's not a mechanism. He's not a machine. He is engaged only in personal connection. That is where he lives. That is what he loves. That is his life. Mm, what else? What else does he teach us? Well, let's take a look. There's three times in the poem, in this brief stanza, where he uses total words. He uses the whole, a whole heart word. He uses a whole heart word early on. Um, I can't remember where that is. I see with my whole heart. Um, and verse 10. And then he uses, um, uh, so it's all of him, all of his heart, all of the, him inside. 
And what does he do in verse 13? He's committed to all of the rules of God's mouth. And then in 14, what is it? More than all riches. Those three totals, all of his heart, all of God's word, more than all riches. Do you hear it? I hear, I hear, I just hear that all in language. And I, and I, and I know that that is part of what he's teaching. You can't, Christianity just doesn't work half in. It's just, if you're only half in with Christ, you're just, you're just walking around in circles. And, you can still be saved and loved by him. And still, but it doesn't work that way. It, you have to be all in with him. You don't get to design or, or to go part way with God. It's a cheat. It's a false, it's a false faith. It's a false, it's a false interaction where you're not really engaged and you're picking through what you trust and what you don't trust about God's word in terms of where you're, how, what kind of obedience you're going to get. And all those alls and holes are all negotiated by you, aren't they? And it, come on, I negotiate them. You ought to be doing it if I'm doing it. We don't want to give all in like that, you know? We're not. And what's he teaching? That's where you have to go. So let's ask God to make us an all-in people. Look, getting all in scares me, right? <laughs> having, having to commit all the way in and trust all of his words, all my heart, with, and all, more than everything else. Okay, where does that faith come from? Tell me, where does that faith come from? Tell me, where does that faith come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God. I want that. I want that. I want that for you. We can keep going, but I want to. I want to go. I want to go to the last to the very end, though. and that's that's the the last two verses. I will meditate. I will fix my eyes. I will delight. I will not forget. You know, back in verse eleven, I have stored up your word in my heart. Now, look. You know, there is an incremental way that God gets all of you. Sometimes it takes a while for us sometimes to get God get all of us. You know, like because we hold back, we we play games. You know, you know. Um, do you remember in, in Revelation where it says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock." Right. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody would have supper with me, invites me in, I'll, I'll sit and eat with him. We'll we'll have, and I'll live with him, make my home. Classically, that text, that image of Christ knocking at the door. In fact, I remember the church I grew up. I can remember the door. There was a, there was a be- well, not beautiful. A rather, rather hideous piece of art behind the pastor. And, and, and Jesus is standing at like this little garden door knocking, you know. And it behold, it's a, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And it's like ivy-covered, like an ivy-covered trellis around the door. And everything's like, hey, it's really pretty, Victorian, Victorian. And he's knocking. Do you know that's often used evangelistically? But that was in a letter to Christians. It's the believers who are being told to invite Jesus in. Isn't that weird? I think that's really good for us to hear, isn't it? Because what I hear in this man is that doubling down, the, the doubling down to do whatever I fix my eyes, hitting my word in my heart, fixing, feasting, pursuing. I will, I will, I will. I hear hunger and desire that's willing to cry out and worship. Bless me, O oh Lord. I see it. I feel it. My boast is all there. It's joyful and it's joyous. And that's what I want you to walk into. You know, as we were talking, uh, uh, Caroline and I were talking about uh, reading the Word together, and I was sharing with her my, some of my patterns. When, I, when I'm really, when my heart's real, I can't get into the Word. I have a habit. I have a, I have a, I have a practice. I'll, read the, I'll do my blitz read. I do a blitz read of a chapter. 
or a very, it has to be shorter, blitz read. I read it two or three times, quick, so read it through. Read it through, so I, I've read it through. And then I stop. And then I, then I crawl through that. And I have to, I have to repeat every, every verse back to myself in a way that I understand it. So, I, so I'm not just not skimming. That's why it has to be a smaller text, right? And then the third time I go, after I've, after I've blitzed it and then I've crawled through it, then I want to pray it. And I try to pray it. I try to pray those things that are in that text for my heart or for the people I love. That's what he's doing. That's that whole idea of getting like, get your fingers getting so into the loam. Oh, this is life. This is life. This is life. I want, to see, I want to draw your attention to one more feature of the text and we'll close with this. Because this is from Murray McShane. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from a, a great preacher. Look in verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now I'm encouraging you, if you want to learn more about memorization, I can give you all sorts of tools and helps. I can help you. I'll get, there's tricks to this and it will help you become a good memorizer. But look what he says, that I might not sin against you. Do you know that's the only time sin's mentioned in this whole stanza? Everything else is like, you know, the rules of your mouth and your way and delight and your pre... Everything else is beautifully focused on God. And then one moment, the sin against you. I think one of the things that this poet is living in is the right proportion. For every one look at your sin... Take 10 looks at Jesus. Take 10 looks at Craig. Gaze longingly at your Savior and the love he has for you. You have to look at your sin, but for, if the proportions right, right? Learn from this ancient poet. You have to deal with your sin, and there is a sin you have against the Almighty that has to be dealt with. That's a non-negotiable. But you notice, it's only the smallest part of this. Because this, this is a poem dressed with longing, expressing the deepest desires of a man's heart, and God made those desires for him. And I guess, you know, we're probably as far on the other, no, no, actually, we're further on the other side of Jesus than he was on that side. But, man, I, don't you feel like maybe we found a friend? Somebody we can learn from? I don't feel quite so alone with the question, how can a person keep their way pure in this world? <laughs> I feel like I have an answer. Let's pray. Oh, dearest Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you you speak to people. I, I, I thank you that you would tell humanity who you are and how you love. I thank you that you would, that this man, I thank you for this man's testimony. Father, I've, I've been thankful ever since I, I remember sitting in that car. Because I knew your word, your word was for me. It had people like me in it. And he had hope. He, has, he had hope that you could do things. And, and the, you're not a liar, Father. That means that hope is real. <laughs> and I want to walk in it. You know I've asked you this question for years. How can a man like me ever be pure? And I hear the answer. And I'm asking. I'm asking even when I don't understand what purity is sometimes. I'm still asking. Because I know you can teach me those things. You can teach all of us. I'm going to ask again, Father. I'm asking for all these folks. 
And right now I'm going to ask for their asking. You know, Father, I, we do ask that you would create a great work of prayer in our church. Why not? It would be a great testimony against this age. Do a great work of prayer among us so that Jesus can be glorified. And uh, so that we can have this delight that this young man had. And not just delight, but to walk in this joy with you. I think he says later, I run the path of your commands because you have set my heart free. Yeah, Father, that's what I want. I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.